classes, and that's okay uh, to happen. I think that's it. No, it's not it. Yes, that's right. Stand to your feet and tell, give somebody the most loving, socially distant greeting you can possibly think of. There you go. Air hugs. I love it. Oh, I love you guys. All right. Thank you.
Christ alone my hope is found He is my light, my strength, my soul This cornerstone, this solid ground Firm through the fiercest drought and storm What heights of love, what depths of peace When fears are still, when striving cease
loving on us. Thank you for your grace. And thank you, God, for the word that we are about to receive. Help us, Lord, to listen with open hearts, open ears, and open minds. To continue to remember that you are God and we can trust you. We can count on you. And we can always turn to you, Father, for anything that we need. So we continue to give you all the honor and glory and praise. For it is in your name that we pray. Amen. in my excitement about all the announcements I left out what is an obvious and important detail and that's where these services will be meeting. Uh, the good news is if you're coming to the 1045 you'll remain right here in the rock. Uh, that's what we call the gym, Recreation Outreach Center. The 8 a.m. and the 930 will both be in the sanctuary. Okay, 8 a.m., 930 in the sanctuary, 1045 here in the rock. Uh, when for, for now, all will be in the rock. When will be, we'll be able to move the 8 a.m. and 9.30 of the sanctuary? I have no idea. But God knows, and we'll follow and trust his timing. But at some point in the future, the 8 a.m. and 9.30 will be sanctuary services and the 10.45 here in the rock. So I, that was an obvious detail that I left out. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 40 and take a deep breath. You have crossed a major milestone going through the book of Isaiah. 1 through 39 are all about the prediction of judgment that's coming. Assyria is at the gates, but Isaiah says it's actually Babylon who's going to do you in. Babylon is going to take you to exile. And now we find ourselves in chapter 40. The reason I say you can take a deep breath is now that the children of Israel are in exile, now from way back in the past they read Isaiah's prophecy, and it is from here on out to the end of the book a word of comfort, a word of encouragement. Now, why would the people of Israel need a word of encouragement? Because think about the word, encourage. They are right now discouraged. And the word of God is trying to put courage into the people. Discouragement, courage has been taken out of the people. And who can blame them? I mean, think about it. In Isaiah 1 through 39, particularly in 39, they're told Babylon is going to carry you off into exile. Your temple's going to be destroyed. God's house is going to be desecrated. The city's going to be laid waste. And you're going to find yourself in exile. And then it, it, it like comes true. And then you find yourself in exile. And you're like, oh, snap. The, the, the prophet wasn't just making stuff up. This is actually happening. Things are actually 
falling apart. And what do we think? Well, what would you think if you find yourself in exile? This wasn't supposed to be this way. What about, I mean, can you imagine hearing your children and your grandchildren will have no prosperity? They'll, they'll have no financial security. In fact, they'll be slaves. They'll be strangers in a strange land off in Babylon. No, that can't be. Why not? Well, what about the plans I had? What about what I was planning for the next 10 years or the next 20 years? What, what, what about that? Does any of this sound familiar? I'm on the wrong track, God. I, I was supposed to be doing this, and now I'm over here. Hasn't coronavirus for many people kind of eru- disrupted and erupted these plans? We had, wait, 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 wait. I talked to seniors in high school that graduated last year. Wasn't I supposed to have a proper senior year? I didn't get to do all these things. Now they're going, many of them are going to be freshmen in college. They're saying, well, now college is going to look all weird and different. And not, I, what about these plans? What about students that are athletes? I had this athletic prowess and God gave me this gift and I would, this was going to be my great year and now they're talking about the season may not happen. What about, hmm? we see that. But it doesn't take a coronavirus. This happens throughout life. You hear this all the time. Uh, you're, you're, you're giving some terrible, well, what, what about the next 10 or 20 years until what? Until you got that cancer diagnosis. Well, that changes everything. Now, now, now we're completely off track. What about all these plans I had? We were going to travel. We were going to do all this. Until what? Until you got a call from the sheriff's office about this terrible car accident that your husband's been involved in. Things are going to be very different. How many of you saw this story a couple weeks ago? My heart broke about this young pastor in Texas, 39 years old. Did you read about this? Got this picture, this beautiful family. Some motorists were stopped stranded on the side of the road, highway, and so he pulls off to help them. And while he's helping them, he gets struck by a car and killed. 39 years old. He's got this beautiful family. What, what about the ministry I was supposed to have, God? What about, what, what about, what about what's this family supposed to do? What about all the travel they were going to do? What about growing old together? What about all the plans? What about all these kids you were going to have? And God says, no, we're going to withhold that. You, you, you're going to have struggle with this infertility. But, but, but I was supposed to have this plan. I was supposed to have all this mapped out. God, am I on the wrong track? Have you forgotten me? What's going on? This is what the people in exile want to know. Does God even want to deliver? I mean, he's a deliverer, but there's some unanswered questions. Look, Isaiah 1 through 39 is clear. God can be trusted. But now that we're in exile, we know that in our heads. But now we got some unanswered questions. Does God even want us anymore? Maybe we've sinned so much that now we're in exile, God doesn't want us anymore. Or maybe he wants to deliver, but he's powerless. He can't. There are some forces of nature. He could, he could take down ba- uh, Assyria, but this is Babylon. And maybe Babylon is too powerful for Yahweh God. And is he going to deliver? These are unanswered questions that the people faced 3,000 years ago that many folks face today. So if that's you, if you're in that place, you, you know, in, into, the, into the darkness, into that desert space, comes Isaiah 40. And God tells him, okay, speak to the people. What am I supposed to tell him? Tell him, Isaiah. Start in verse 1. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Into the darkness, Isaiah 40 speaks, and he speaks a word of comfort. Comfort was the perfect English translation in 1611. When we all spoke King James English, when thee did it, and thou did it, and ye did it, when we all did it, and we all, back then, comfort meant to come forth, to come alongside. That word means to put steel in your backbone. Now comfort means warm fuzzies, you know? And that's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about spread a down comforter over my people. He's talking about put steel in their backbones. Encourage them. Comfort them. This is a word of comfort. And, and co- oh, and by the way, Isaiah, tell, comfort them and tell them they're still my people. 
Isn't that beautiful? Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Can you imagine? What would you, would you have said that? Like imagine, imagine your God. What would you, here are the children of Israel who are told year after year after year after year, trust God, trust God. They fail to trust God. Now they find themselves in big trouble and they're crying out to God and God gives them this comfort. Is that what you would have said? Or would you have been like, do you know for how many thousands of years I've been putting this off? <laughs> do you realize you've gotten yourself into this mess? No, not God. He gives a word of grace. And he tells them, comfort, comfort my people. He claims them. You ever, uh, do you remember being a kid and maybe you'd had a rough day as a kid? Maybe you got in a little bit of trouble. And when your dad came home, your mom looked at your dad and said, you will not believe what your child did today. Like, doesn't even claim you, Right? God's not doing that. He said, no, I still claim him. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. That means speak to her heart. Cry to her that her warfare has ended. Warfare can mean severe trials or hard labor. In other words, I'm gonna bring you out of exile. I'm gonna do something that almost never happened in the ancient Near East. When the nation went into exile, I'm actually gonna bring you home. Tell her her iniquity is pardoned and she's received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. All I can say about receiving from the Lord's hand double for all her sins is just if you can, if it's mentally possible, put a pin in that, hold on to that, and we'll return at the end. It means I'm still your God. You are still my people. See, you thought I was a territorial God and I was just God as long as there was Jerusalem and as long as my house, my temple was standing, but I'm here to show you I am your God, you're still my people, and though there's trouble all around you, in spite of everything you see, I'm coming. And that's verse three through five. He's coming. Y'all, God sees you. Because a lot of people, that's what they're looking around going, God, do you even, do you even know where I am? I'm, I, it's been a long time, some people would say. Been a long time since I've been church. Oh, it's been a long time since I've been religious, preacher. Been a long time since I felt close to God. I'm way over here. Can I tell you something? God knows exactly where you are. And he's coming. He's coming. That's verses three through five. Something big. He's saying, in the, a voice cries. We don't even know where this disembodied voice, voice cries out. In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Something big is coming. I remember living in New York, and when the NYPD would put out these barricades, and they'd block off a whole road, they'd have the siren cars, and you're like, I don't know who's coming, but they're important. You know what I mean? I mean, a dignitary or a president or something's coming. A better example is, um, and there won't be every, every not everyone will, will know this reference, but those who, let those with ears hear. And it's just the right reference for those of you who get it. In the first Jurassic Park, remember the scene where there's a glass of water on the dashboard of the Jeep and the water begins to tremble and the subwoofer in the theater is like rattling your brains and you realize before we see the T-Rex for the first time, you realize there's something huge coming thank you uh, that's what he's saying that Isaiah 43 is the glass of water in Jurassic Park there is somebody's coming prepare the way make straight and I want you to see a king is coming but not just any king and verse 4 proves it a king is coming and not just any king look at verse 4 every valley shall be lifted up every mountain and hill be made low the uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain listen it was not uncommon for kings, when they traveled from one part of their kingdom to another part of their kingdom, a king did not just travel on any old road. You did not let a king travel on a road with potholes. You didn't let a king travel on a road that was too windy. The king might get chariot sick. 
So you decide, what did you do? You, you, man, you made an avenue. You made a boulevard. There's ancient, if you're curious, there are ancient inscription, inscriptions from, say, Babylon. So-and-so's coming. Make his way good. Renew his road. Make straight his path. That's how Babylonians talked. They, they, in other words, if a king is coming, if an earthly king comes, what did you do? You smoothed out a highway. This is not that. This is different than that. On a scale of magnitude. Look carefully at this verse. What's different about this? When an earthly king comes, for example, and you come up to a canyon, what do you say? Build a proper bridge across this canyon that the king may go forth on a wonderful bridge that spans the canyon. That's what you do when an earthly king comes. When this king comes, you say, yeah, fill in the canyon. Excuse me? Yup, fill in the Grand Canyon. When an earthly king comes, what do you say when you come to a mountain? Make a nice mountain pass over this with plenty of guardrails and a nice smooth pass up the mountain. That's what you do when an earthly king comes. When this king comes, what do you say? Yeah, we're going to need to tear this mountain down. Rip it down. I hope you brought a skid steer because Pike's Peak is going down. Can you imagine the scale, the magnitude? What's he saying? This is no earthly king that's coming to save you. Oh, children of God, you don't have an earthly king that's on his way. You've got a heavenly king. And it's not just physical topography. He wants you to see that, that this, is, this is the character that the king brings. He's talking about a true repentance, a new moral topography and social landscape. When the kingdom of God advances, there will be lifting and lowering and leveling and smoothing. He's talking about depression being relieved. He's talking about pride being flattened. He's talking about anxious personalities being smooth and peaceful. And he's talking about people who are really hard to get along with being perfectly agreeable. And not to make too much of verses three through five, but oh, the direction of the highway. Note the direction of the highway. Does he say, oh, you guys are in exile. Now you're pretty messed up. You're in a lot of sin. You're in a lot of trouble. You know what I would do? I recommend you build a highway of religion to get to God because you guys really, you're in a lot of trouble. Yeah, that's what you need to do. You need to build a highway and get to God. Is that what it says? No, note the direction. On this highway, God is coming to rescue his people. And that's that's a gospel word for us. Some of you feel like you are too weak to get to God. If you feel that, That's good, because that's your reality. You are too weak to God. Whether you feel it or not, all of us are too weak to get to God. So praise God, God has come to you. And he's here this morning with a word of encouragement. And and, and he's not just coming to a select group of religious folks either. No, no, no. Look at verse 5. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. In other words, we're going global with this. Everybody can hear and receive the good news. He said, well, I mean, that's awesome to think that God is going to come and he's going to deliver us. But here we are in exile. Here we are in coronavirus. Here we are in pick your problem. Here's, here's what he's saying. We've heard all this before. Lots of men and women make promises. How do we know these promises aren't the same as any other human promise? And six through eight, it's like, ah, I'm glad you brought that up. There is a key difference between when man speaks and when God speaks. A voice says, verse six, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? He says, tell them all flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The problem is the grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. What's he saying? 
Human life is precious. Human life is beautiful. It's glorious. It's just what? It's over quick. It's short. Nowhere, nowhere in the Bible does it not say that human life is, is glorious. I mean, look at the flowers of the field. Flowers of the field can be very glorious. What's the problem? The problem is they're ephemeral. They don't last. They're here today, gone tomorrow. So, 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 so Babylon looks high and mighty. They're grass. They're going to be gone tomorrow. Your own life, it's a vapor. It's going to be gone tomorrow. Here's the key difference, verse 8. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Some of you in this room are young. Some of you are very young. Some of you are older. This verse will grow sweeter to you the older you get. All of us, it should be sweet to all of us because we're all, none of us are promised tomorrow. I get that. You are promised exactly zero tomorrows. But there's something about this verse. As you get older, you realize your body is fading and and wearing out and I will face death. There's no need to deny it. I will die, I will stand before God, and I will just ponder eternity for a moment. Hmm? If all I have on that last journey, when I cross that last river, when I die, if all I have is my own words, or the words of other people, or the words of social media, or the words of what I've read somewhere on the internet, or the word of any human being, I am hopeless. The only hope I have is that when I stand before eternity, I'm not standing on my own word. That's grass of the field, flower of the field stuff. What am I standing on? The word of God. And what's the difference? The word of God stands forever. That promise will grow, mark my words, that that verse will grow sweeter to you the older you get. So tell it to the world, Israel. Announce the world. You know, go up on a high mountain, verse nine, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Two things I want to point out about this, this verse. One is, that's, that's actually the correct order of operations. Did you know that? Israel became Israel. Israel's job was, okay, so God selects Israel. He calls Abraham. He puts his laws in Israel. He cho- the chosen people, the Jewish people. Did God bless the Jewish people so that they could keep their blessing for themselves? No, he blessed the Jewish people so that they could be a blessing to the nations. Their job was to be a light to the Gentiles. And sure enough, he sent Jesus, a Jew, to the chosen people to what? To present to the Gentiles. They're meant to be a light to the nations. Uh, the, the, in fact, Paul, Paul hints at that in Romans 1.16 when he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power unto salvation for them that believe. To the Jew first and then the Gentiles. That, that, like, that's their jobs to be heralds of good news. It's incredible. And, and be an evangelist. Turn it up. I love this. Turn it up. Lift up your voice with strength. That means be loud. Be bold. Be an evangelist this week. Lift it up and fear not. Number one reason for not evangelizing is, is being fearful. And you say, well, what does evangelism look like? Tell somebody, behold your God. This week, here's what evangelism might look like. You're talking to somebody and they're talking and they're going, hey, I don't know what this is. I don't know what this is. You need to say, hey, can I help you see something that you obviously can't see? That's God. That's God in your life. Behold your God. Show people where God is moving in their life. Help them see. Oh, yeah, that's God that did that. Or that's God that gave you that blessing. Or that's God that's trying to correct you. Tell people, lift it up. Let nothing, don't let fear keep you. Lift up your voice with strength. The other thing about this verse that bears mentioning is that it is very interesting that God calls them Zion and God calls them Jerusalem when there is no Zion and there is no Jerusalem. 
He tells him, lift it up, O Zion. Zion's been destroyed. Lift it up, O Jerusalem. The house of God in Jerusalem has been mowed to the ground and it <laughs> scorched earth. Do you see that? He calls them Zion in Jerusalem when there's no way they can see Zion or Jerusalem. They're a thousand miles from Jerusalem. They're over here in exile, and yet he says, no, you're Jerusalem, you're Zion. Why do I bring that up? God will do that. God will speak into existence something that you have no way of seeing right now. You can, all you can see is a dead end, and God will speak a way out to you. He did it all through Scripture. That's, that's what he did. He would make a way when there was no way. He would call Jerusalem, Jerusalem, when all they saw was that they were in exile. They had no idea he was planning something. That's why, listen, church, you always sin too soon. Just hang on. It's always too soon to sin. A sin is often a shortcut to get some salvation. Oh, we always sin too soon. Why? Because we're finite beings. He sees the end from the beginning, and he's got a plan, and he's calling you Jerusalem when you can't see Jerusalem. He's making a way when there is no way. He's done it all throughout Scripture. Pick an example, any of them. How about, uh, how about when Father Abraham, who's going to be the father of many nations, how about when Abraham is 100 years old and his sweet wife Sarah is 90? And God comes to him and says, they're not going to believe this, but uh, you're going to have to call your nursing home and tell them to build a maternity wing. uh, You're about to be the only grandpa in history who has to dip into his 401k pension to buy a baby buggy. Like, you know, and there's Sarah. I just can't believe it. (laughs) That happens. God calls Isaac when there is no Isaac. God, God calls Abraham father when he's not a father. Do you understand? He'll do that in your life. Makes a way when there is no way. Behold your God. Look at verse 10. Behold, the Lord comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. Recompense, reward. I used to think, I used to think that this verse meant that when God comes, he comes with a big batch of rewards to dole out to all the good little boys and girls like uh, candy at the fair or something. I've got my reward with me. Now I'm older and I know better. That's not what a conquering, returning hero brings. When they win the Super Bowl, they don't come and they don't pass out the Super Bowl trophy to everybody. They don't pass out the Vince Lombardi trophy. What do they do? They hold it up and they parade it through town. This is the reward I fought for. This is the reward I earned. And now I'm here with my reward. When a conquering hero would return, when the king comes across this highway, he brings the spoils of war that he earned. And sometimes at great price, sometimes at the cost of blood, he earned these rewards. When the king comes, how can you look at this verse and not see Jesus? When the king comes holding his reward, what is that reward? What did Jesus have after the death, burial, and resurrection and ascension that he didn't have before, so to speak? Is is it not? us that we are his reward we are what he earned we are we we, the saved the redeemed he's coming he's bringing his own people and he's going to bring us back to the to the promised land ultimately new heaven new earth i'm not just pulling this out of nowhere look at verse 11 this is the exact imagery he will tend his flock like a shepherd he will gather the lambs in his arms. Look at that, this tender, mighty arm, this, this powerful arm of God used to destroy nations, now so tender, gathering up the lambs. Jesus used this exact metaphor, didn't he, with the, the parable of the lost sheep. Shepherd goes, looks, gathers his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. I could point out the tenderness of any of these four lines in verse 11, but it's that last one that gets me. 
gently lead those that are with young. God's care for pregnant and nursing moms. I just, that touches my heart. If you are a, a, a mom with an infant child right now, you know what, let me, just talk, let me just talk directly to the camera. Because if you're a young nursing mother, I know right now you are watching this sermon at 3 a.m. on a Tuesday morning. <laughs> so let me talk to you just right now. Uh, you are exhausted. You, are, um, uh, you haven't slept, and this kid needs you. And it's the middle of the night, and yet again, and your husband, like, God bless him, but... And you're doing the best he can. And so you're up in the middle of the night, and you just wonder, as you scoop up this baby, you wonder, how, how, how can I go on? And you scoop up this baby, and you scoop up this other baby. Really, God, twins? Like, really? And you're looking, and you're, and, and you're watching the sermon, and it's three in the morning, and you've got nothing else to do, and you've slept through the first part of it, but wake up for this part. Have you considered? Have you considered? When you are so exhausted and you're wondering, you're a single mom, you're trying to hold down a job, I get it. Like, it, you're so exhausted and you're scooping up these children. Have you ever stopped to consider who scoops you up? It's your good shepherd, that's who. This, this mighty arm that can sub- subdue nations is the same arm that scoops up these, these that are with young. Incredible. So tell them, Isaiah, tell them. Yes, I still want to deliver. Yes, they're still my people. Yes, I still love them. That's, I, I, this is an aside, but it came to me this week. Um, in Isaiah 1 through 39, an incredible thing happened. In 1 through 39, the, Assyria was the enemy at the gates. Assyria is what everybody was worried about. When I say enemy at the gates, I mean literally. Remember the Rabshakeh from a couple weeks ago and the Sennacherib and 185,000 soldiers and all this stuff? And everybody's panicked about Assyria. In the middle of Assyria, the obvious enemy at the gates, crazy thing. Isaiah stands up and prophesies, says, Babylon's going to take you down. What are you talking about Babylon's going to Babylon, they got, Babylon is this no-name country and Assyria is going to rule over them for like 40 more years. Nobody, nobody could have predicted Babylon. Everybody could see Assyria. Assyria is the threat. Assyria is what's scary. Let's fix Assyria. Assyria is keeping us from our schools going back together and churches from meeting properly. It's Assyria. Assyria is the enemy at the gates. And Isaiah says, no, it's actually Babylon. I know Assyria is scary, but it's actually Babylon. Um, it occurred to me this week through several conversations with folks, that coronavirus is the Assyria at the gates. Everybody can see it. It's scary. It's right there. It's causing all these problems. But it's not the real enemy. Babylon's going to take us down. And Babylon, I'm convinced, is spiritual discouragement. Everybody's, Everybody's worried about coronavirus. I'm telling you, that threat doesn't scare me nearly as much a spiritual discouragement. It's spiritual discouragement that's going to take people down. People are just growing weary, losing faith, losing heart. The ability to fellowship together, it's so precious. We realize now, we, we thought this was a sprint. Now we realize we're in a marathon. It's spiritual discouragement that's the real Babylon, in my opinion. That, nobody could see it at the time, but that was it. Isaiah was saying, no, 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 it's, it's actually Babylon. And now they're here, and they're going through the spiritual discouragement, and they need Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40 to say, wait, no, 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 God wants to deliver. So does God have the ability to deliver? I mean, may, okay, maybe he wants to deliver, but maybe he just can't. You know what I mean? Maybe, okay, maybe, okay, he took down Assyria, 
But that was like, that was like, okay, he took down 185,000 soldiers with, <laughs> at one stroke. But I don't know, maybe, uh, maybe that was a lucky shot, you know? Maybe, maybe Babylon is the real, and maybe Babylon, he can't take down Babylon. And so verses 12 through 26 are one of the greatest passages on the sovereignty of God that may be in the whole scriptures. 12 through 26 are the sovereignty of God. Look, look at verse 12. Who has, it's like, does God have the ability to deliver? It's like Isaiah's like, let me answer your question with a question. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Hmm? Go ahead, the hollow of your hand. Go ahead, have a little fun, experiment. Make your hand into a little cup there. Go ahead, you can do it, it's okay. Now, how long would it take you to scoop out a full bathtub of water? <laughs> take a while, wouldn't it? With God, he's got every ocean, every river, every lake. Yep, it's just right there in the hollow of his hand. He, the span, the length from the thumb to the pinky finger. Eh, I'll put all the cosmos and the entire universes and all the solar systems. I'm just going to eyeball it. Who is like our God? Who has, look at verse 13. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? What man shows him his counsel? Good luck finding the advisory counsel of God. And in, in all the pagan religions, you had a pantheon of gods. Every, you'd have these lower gods that gave advice to the big god. Every god had like a consigliere. And he's saying, where, where, where's God? Wh whom did he consult? God did not Google how to make a world. Oh, good, there's a YouTube video. Who, did, who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice, taught him knowledge, showed him the way of understanding? What's his point? He's going to get it right every time. His justice is perfect. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket, accounted as dust on the scales. He takes up the coastlands like fine dust. How would you get leverage on a God like that? Hmm? What could you do with a God like that to make him bless you? You know, in the ancient Near East, they would make these offerings, and the idea was if you made a good enough offering, the God had to do what you, what you wanted done. So you prayed for whatever, fertility or good crops or whatever, and if you made a big enough offering, the God would say, okay, I'm pleased by that offering. How big of an offering do you need for the God who made everything? I mean, you need like a few animals with a, with a few fires. You need lots of animals with lots of fires. To put it in modern-day terms, how many zeros on the end of your tithe check before God has to do what you tell him? The answer is more than you got, more than any of us got. We got a God who can't be bought. Doesn't work that way. Look at what he says. You could take all the cedars of Lebanon, Lebanon known for all their trees. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel nor its beast enough for a burnt offering. You took every critter in all of Lebanon and you offered it up to God. There is not a barbecue big enough to make God say, okay, now I'm in your debt. Now you've got leverage on me. No, why? Because all the nations are as nothing before him, accounted by him as less than nothing in emptiness. To whom then will you liken God or what likeness compare with him? And now, 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 and you knew this was coming. He talks about how all these pagan nations have idols. Now, I won't ask you to identify yourself, but has anyone ever said that sometimes you can be sarcastic? If the whole row suddenly turned and looked at you, yeah, that maybe God is speaking, yeah. Well, the next verses then are for you. The, Isaiah's next two verses are dripping with sarcasm. How do you take a God who's got the, all the world in the hollow of his hand, he's got, he measures off the universe with a span, to what will we liken this God? Who is this God? Oh, I know. Yes, it's an idol. 
Yes, of course. God can be represented as an idol. Why? Because a craftsman crafts it, y'all. And not and a goldsmith overlays it with gold. This is like gold-plated. Fancy God. And cast for it silver chains. This is dripping with sarcasm. Yes, look at what particular, oh yes, because when you make a God, you want to make him beautiful, but those are very expensive, gold and silver. What if you can't afford that? That's okay. Verse 20, you get gods on the clearance rack. This is sort of half price gods. Verse 20, he who's too impoverished for an offering, no problem, choose wood. Ah, but wood that will not rot, because y'all, there's nothing worse than God rot. Make sure you use yellow wood. You must use treated lumber because it really, when your God rots, it's just terrible. He seeks out a skillful craftsman. Why? Because the skillful craftsman uses a level. Why is that important? To set up an idol that will not totter. The ESV says move, but some of your translations say totter, which I think is so much better because, oh, it's, it's, it's the worst when your God totters. What's the point? When you make an idol, you better make sure you make it well so that you can properly prop it up. And that's Isaiah's point. It's funny because it's supposed to be funny. What kind of God do you have to prop up? We don't need a God that we have to prop up. We need a God. How, if you have to prop your God up, how's that God going to prop you up? What's not funny, of course, is when we depend on idols, and we all have them, our whole lives, we have to feed our idols. We have to overlay them with gold and silver. We constantly have to feed our idols. The true and living God, of course, if we'll turn from idols, the true and living God is different. He feeds us. We don't have to prop up God. 